Hello, everyone. This is Dave from Opposing the Matrix. How are you? Oh, I had a pretty good show last night. <clears throat> Got a few nice reviews about it. I'm really happy about that. Thank you for those of you who enjoyed the show. If you didn't, well, you got educated. Nobody likes going to school, right? Okay. So, folks, um, tonight we're going to do part three, rabbinical course for bid injection of COVID-19 injections. And that should be vaccinations. And I will fix that right now. Because if I wait later, it won't get done, right? Simple fix. All right. Update. There we go. Look at that. Okay. So uh, last night we looked at doctors who were speaking out um, and, and pharmacists who were, they're finally coming to the truth. They're finally, it's finally, the light bulb's finally, ding. You know, um, I've been getting emails from um, Pharmacy Times. It's something that's left over from back when I worked in pharmacy. I still get their emails, although I hate them. And, um, but they, they keep me informed as to what's going on in the pharmacy world. And they are still trying to say that COVID-19 vaccines are okay. Of course they are. They're in bed with the, the uh, big pharma. And they're in bed with a lot of other people too. It's like a, uh, a medical orgy or something like that. I don't know. Pardon the term, but that's all I could think of at the time. Um, so, <clears throat> so anyway, it's been interesting. Today's been an interesting day. Um, Back in 2010 of this day, my first wife went to be with Yeshua. And so I remember that, although not as much as I used to. And that kind of makes me feel weird. But anyway, um, so anyway, that's so she's up there and we're down here and waiting to go up there. So and up there might not be a good thing. Maybe it's over there or through there. I don't know. You know, we'll find out someday for sure, either dead or alive. So. Anyway, uh, last night's show <clears throat> turned out pretty well. I particularly like the one with the pharmacist that uh, is on tape saying he's not going to give the vaccines anymore. Um, I don't know how old that video is, but I wonder if he see had to seek employment elsewhere. Um, and I know a lot of people are grappling with that. And I really do, you know, because I grappled with it, too. I grappled with taking it, but I never had to administer it. But I could only imagine. OK, and it was only a matter of time as being a nurse that I would be asked to start giving it. And then I would have really had to, you know, to the, to my boss, you know, and um, <clears throat> that wouldn't have been pretty, but um, <clears throat> pardon me, got something going on down here. Um, so anyway, um, so I don't want to waste too much time just talking and rambling because we're going to watch four videos, four testimonies, and we'll comment a little bit after each one, you know. But, uh, yeah, four testimonies of uh, doctors and researchers um, who have seen something funny about all this and, uh, and looked at the evidence and done the research, which a lot of doctors and researchers do not do. And they've come to the realization, like you and I have, that... Um, and just the simple you and I, you know, the not the brainiac doctors, unless you're a doctor, then that's cool. But um, uh, as a matter of fact, one doctor wrote to me and said uh, he was glad that I did the show, that I'm doing these, 
and he thanked me. And he said that he's used Dr. Zelensky's protocols and, uh, and that they work. So he was very, he didn't leave his name, of course, <laughs> smart man. Uh, but um, yeah, it was really, really nice to hear that, you know, and he thanked me for putting this stuff on there. So anyway, uh, without further ado, let me, uh, let me do all the stuff I got to do here. So show on stream. Okay. Look at that. And let me see, let me go to here and we're going to start out with, uh, <clears throat> we're going to do this guy again because I had a, <clears throat> a lot of weird stuff going on on the, uh, with my sound system that day. I know it came across okay on the, uh, the video and on the audio, but at the same time, it wasn't complete. And I can't just put the last few minutes on there because if somebody didn't watch the other video or listen to the other sound stream, then they're not going to know this. It's like jumping in the middle of something you know nothing about. So uh, I'm going to play his whole thing again. And that's, uh, so we got uh, Dr. Amir Shahar. Says he's a director of Lenido Hospital's emergency room, delivers medical testimony before rabbinical court. Faithful testimony of Professor Rezev Levy, who's got some very interesting takes on things. Um, faithful testimony of Professor Peter McCullough. He's going to deliver his testimony before the rabbinical court in Jerusalem. And Dr. Jane Ruby, who's going to deliver her testimony. And she's got a lot of neat things to say. We listen to this guy and this guy. Uh, I'm sorry, I meant to say Dr. Zelenko, not Dr. Zelensky. <laughs> Dr. Zelenko, excellent man. I wish I could work for him. Um, and this gentleman, uh, Dr. Michael Yerden, was, uh, his testimony is really good too. So, um, Anyway, we're going to start from the bottom and work up. And so without further ado, we're going to watch the uh, testimony, of faithful testimony of Dr. Jane Ruby. Delivers medical testimony before Rabbinical Court of Justice regarding the COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, so here we go. And I'll make any adjustments I need to as we go along. Okay, Jane, take it away. Dr. Jane Ruby. Is uh, has a PhD in psychology and economics. Dr. Ruby I'm also has. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to do a quick introduction for the okay. rabbis. So please Thank go you. ahead. Thank you so much, and shalom, rabbis and everyone. I'm Dr. Jane Ruby. Uh, I have uh, I have I don't have much to add to the giants that have come here before me today, like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Yeden, the professor who just spoke, Dr. Zelenko. But what I do want to uh, I, I do want to let you know I have 20 years of experience in pharmaceutical drug development here in the United States, and I've also been before the EMA. Uh, I, I come to you more, uh, I believe, as, as a Jewish mother and a grandmother, because I'm concerned about the genetic modification of these shots. I don't call them vaccines because I don't believe they confer immunity. Uh, the reason I say that, if you, if you don't believe me, you can verify uh, at the Moderna website, which is the same technology as Pfizer. On their website, they explain very proudly that they are changing your DNA. This is a rever irreversible. It is for life. And I fear, like the other doctors, that uh, life will be shortened. It is uh, changing permanently your God-given genetic material. Uh, and I fear for the children of Israel. Uh, this mRNA is a genetic code that is embedded. Technically, it's actually a, a computer-generated facsimile. It does not occur in nature. It is not organic. And that's why it's very dangerous, because it hasn't been tested in humans before. 
It is the lipid nanoparticle it can only be seen in an electron microscope, so tiny it can literally walk through your cells. So when the other doctors told you this material goes right into every cell in your body, and they also told you that it forces your body to become a perpetual spike, uh, the dangerous toxic part of the coronavirus, you become a toxic spike factory. Uh, the reason this is important is that um, I just fear that forevermore, uh, the people of Israel, the children of Israel will carry this. They will, they will have their DNA altered uh, forever. And as you've mentioned before, some other experts have mentioned, and I'll finish with this, that the spike proteins end up concentrating. We know this. There are have been subsequent preclinical studies that show that these spike proteins, they're being produced in the billions once you get injected, even injected once. And they go all through the body and these spike proteins accumulate. They have an affinity for certain areas of the body, although they go everywhere. And some of those areas, the, the one I'm most concerned about, uh, and this, this became a signal out of Israel, believe it or not, is the ovarian concentration. Uh, there is actually, because it's so serious and because the signal was so high in Israel, there is now a study. It is registered on clinicaltrials.gov and it's called the Ovarian Reserve Study. I'm happy to send a link later on uh, to Amit. And I'm gonna be watching this study very closely. They're comparing women who are uh, uh, of childbearing age, who took the shot, and those who do not want the shot. And they're going to assess over time their ovarian reserve. What does that mean? The health and longevity of their eggs, their ability to have children in the future. What I fear, rabbis, is that this injection across all four of the companies, I know we focus on Pfizer because it was an exclusive deal with your country, but I fear um, that this, this push and this high level of inoculation in your country is going to sterilize at least two-thirds of your women of childbearing age. I pray uh, to Hashem that this does not happen but it is something I'm very concerned about. It's the fertility, the future of our people. Uh, if there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I know you have to move along, so uh, have, have a good prayer session later. Uh, excuse me, uh, thank you very much for your, for your talk. I'd just like to know, is, is the, 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 the new technology is different than any stem cell technology of other, other uh, uh, vaccinations until today? Uh, you might be referring to, oh, I'm sorry, you might be referring to those that are up and coming, like the Novavax. They actually use a slightly different technology, but they, they, they get the same job done. They use a moth. They put the genetic material in a moth uh, or a spider, and they get that animal to produce billions of spikes. They take the spikes, they extract it. They embed it into a, a nanoparticle, which is uh, uh, often an industrial uh, molecular piece of sheet. And this is all at the nanoparticle level. There are billions of those in the vial and you are injected with that. And so forevermore, you are, your body is fighting these toxic spike proteins. These are not natural spikes that occur on the coronavirus. And by the way, no one's ever isolated a real coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 from a sick human being. But these spikes that these uh, injections are causing people to make by the billions, 
Um, these are um, not natural or organic. They've never been seen in, in nature before. They, they don't come from, uh, from uh, natural sources. They, they are all based on a computer-generated uh, model. But the technology is not a technology that was that is used only only on on the, on the COVID nineteen uh, vaccinations. It could be theoretically used on, on any on the triple M's on on any anything. That's so correct, that Rabbi. Yep, that's correct. And in fact, with SARS-CoV-1, they tried to do this in the animal population, but all the animals died within two weeks. So when they got to SARS-CoV-2, the reason they skipped the animal studies, which we call preclinical, uh, is because they knew that they could not survive the preclinical phase and they would not be allowed to go on. Uh, one company I worked for, very famous uh, antidepressant, when it was in its animal studies in 1990s, uh, six beagle dogs died of a heart attack. The FDA shut it down. We have a very different FDA, as Dr. Zelenko told you today. We have very different uh, agencies. They are derelict in their duties. Uh, they shut that study down for six beagle dogs. We have, as you know now, tens of thousands of human beings dead, and nobody, nobody seems to find a threshold to stop this. So I agree with my predecessors, especially Dr. McCullough. This is not fit for human beings, and I fear what it's the permanent damage it's going to do to the people of Israel and the children of Israel most of all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Jane Ruby. <clears throat> that was pretty interesting, huh, folks? Um, your body becomes a perpetual spike protein factory. Very interesting. Um, but, you know, a lot of us have heard that already, so we knew that. Um, I was pretty interested in when she said that uh, <clears throat> that what they've created is something that's never existed in nature before. Uh, if you go back to the book of Enoch, first Enoch, and I think it's in one of the other books too. It might be in Jasher, if I'm not, I'm not sure. But <clears throat> it talks about a time when men, not the giants, <clears throat> when men had technology so advanced that they were mixing animals. They were mixing uh, animals with other animals, plants with other plants, possibly plants with animals, who knows? Um, so it's, we gotta remember the words of Yeshua when he said that when he comes back, it's gonna be like in the days of the sun, the days, the days of Noah. And I can't remember exactly where the address is. I think it's in Matthew 24. I think I'm not, not mistaken. And days of Noah is really weird, folks. It was were really very weird. Um, of course, you had the giants, which are the off, 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 <laughs> offset or um, offspring. That's where I'm looking for of um, of fallen angels and women. And we can go into a whole show about how that can be. Okay, maybe we'll do that soon. Um, so we had those. We had uh, something that was called the uh, the monsters. The Book of uh, Giants talks about that, and uh, these monsters were hideous, and they were somehow the offspring or something to do with the giants, of course. And, uh, and then the giants had children too. Um, but let's get back to the animals. So it said that there was mixing of the animals and mixing of plants, uh, and you know when you read the Bible, I love the Bible. It's it's the bread of life. Um, but when you read it, it, it's very unclear about the days of Noah. <clears throat> it just, you know, says that they, that mankind 
provoke the Lord to anger. Okay. And that's pretty hard to do actually, but, um, they did. And now, yes, you know, being riotous, uh, uh, being hedonistic and everything yeah, is not good in God's eyes. Of course, it's a, an abomination, of course, but, um, but something special had to happen before the flood to kick him off so bad. And they were trying to corrupt the gene pool of everything that God created, but especially the other mankind, because God had promised Adam that a redeemer would come um, someday. And a redeemer, uh, if you understand the Jewish, there was something called the kinsman redeemer. And a kinsman redeemer was a person that was a relative of yours or let's just say you or me. And if we did something that was worthy of death, we would run to a city of refuge. The Levites had them all over Israel. And if you ran to a city of refuge, nobody could go in there and mess with you. Okay. <laughs> um, you were protected. It was kind of, it's called the sanctuary city. And that's where the perverts have gotten their sanctuary city from. But <clears throat> the, the, the term and the idea, <clears throat> except they've got no God backing it up. But anyway, so if you had a kinsman redeemer, that person could actually do something to make it so that you were forgiven of what you did. Like if you killed a man's ox and you didn't have another way to, <clears throat> to replace the ox, uh, you know, you'd run to this city, your kinsman redeemer would say, go up to the person that owned the ox and say, okay, I understand uh, Saul killed your your ox and he feels bad about it. He really doesn't want to get killed. Um, is there a way that you can accept this ox for me and that everything will be okay? It's And you, a lot of times you would offer a better ox than the guy had before to make kind of sweeten the pot and make sure he accepted the deal, okay? Then he would go before the, the rabbinical court. Of, I guess it was the Sadducees and Pharisees of the, um, well, it'd be the Levites actually, or Moses, one of the judges. And you would plead your case before him. And then when the judges found for your relative that he was okay, the uh, the neighbor whose ox he killed and you replaced could do nothing to your neighbor. So um, anyway, that having been said, uh, we have a kinsman redeemer that came and died for us to pay our price that we would have to pay to get to heaven, which we'd never be able to pay. So that takes care of us, the believers in Yeshua. Um, so the kinsman redeemer is really important for us and for anybody that's interested in living forever and in, in paradise. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's important to know that um, that Adam was promised the kinsman redeemer sometime after he had sinned and was thrown out of the garden. Him, he and Eve were, or Chava is her real name. Um, and and Yeshua was the the revelation of that and the fulfillment of that promise. So we have it a little different, or a lot different, actually, than they had it before the flood. Uh, and we can go into what happened to those that died before the flood. And we can do that another time, too. Uh, and those that died before Yeshua, actually. So, anyway, that was interesting. Just that interesting thought. <clears throat> I will uh, 
I'll share it sometime. I got to write it down first. Um, and I thought, well, I'll share it now. You know, when Yeshua was, when he, when he was killed, sacrificed on the, on the tree and he died, he went to hell and he redeemed the people in hell that had been waiting for him. It says he led the captives captive. And, and I'm wondering, it's just a thought. I get these weird thoughts every once in a while. But the thought was that when Yeshua was had died and he hadn't yet freed those people, or if it took any amount of time to free those people, in that time period, did nobody die on earth? Okay, because there was a, actually a storehouse, we know, called uh, um, Paradise. There was, Sheol was split into par- Paradise and, and, um, and Torments. Torments is where the rich man went and Lazarus went to paradise. Um, and when he came, he rescued all the people in paradise. And paradise was effectively closed. Okay, it was closed down, doesn't exist anymore, to the best of my knowledge. And um, so there had to be a time period, whether it was a second, whether it was five minutes, ten minutes a day. We know that he was dead for three days. Um there was a time period. I was wondering if nobody on earth died during that period. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think about things like this. I'm sorry, but I do. Um, anyway, let's see. So we heard from Jane. And now we're going to hear from the person she mentioned that uh, she said she couldn't compare herself to. I, I seem to disagree with her on this, but uh, uh, this guy's supposed to be a real brainiac when it comes to stuff like this. So um, Dr. Uh, or excuse me, Professor Peter McCullough. And um, let's see what he has to say. I don't think he's a medical doctor. Uh, he looks more like a researcher or a, uh, well, he's a professor. So let's see what he has to say in, in regard to all this. And then uh, I didn't realize that Jane was only going to speak for seven minutes. So we may be able to uh, fit somebody else in. So, okay, let's go with uh, Peter and see what happens. So, uh, Dr. McCullough, um, if you could please um, give your comment about uh, the topic, about vaccinating children specifically, if you could give your angle. Well, thanks for that introduction, and thanks to each and every one of you. Just as an update, I'm uh, an internist, cardiologist, uh, uh, and professor of medicine here in Dallas. Um, the last year, I've been completely focused on COVID-19. I have 47 peer-reviewed papers in COVID-19. I've published the two sets of most widely used protocols on how to treat COVID-19 to prevent hospitalization and death. And as we sit here today, the biggest determinant of severe disease is whether or not someone got early treatment, not the natural history of the virus. It's all about who gets early treatment. So we cannot draw conclusions, at least I can't, about severe disease and give any attribution to the vaccine. It's all about who gets the, treat, the early treatment. What we know about the currently available vaccines, that they are messenger RNA or they are adenoviral DNA vaccines, the ones that are uh, of um, interest to people on the call, these are considered by the FDA gene transfer technologies. These are genetic transfer platforms that we understand now uh, have an effect in the body at least for two weeks, maybe four weeks, maybe longer. So they have a long duration of action. They cause the body 
to produce the original Wuhan spike protein from the virus. They actually tricked the body cells to produce the spike protein. Apparently in some people in large quantities, this, this uh, injures local tissues. The spike protein is expressed on the cell surface. It injures the cells and the tissues where it is produced and it circulates freely in the body at least for two weeks before a second injection. And then the uh, circulating spike protein uh, reduces in quantity. We think the tissue expression continues. Now, in the United States, we've had half the country receive these vaccines. The vast majority of people have had some minimal side effects and it, it, they have not had any problems, the vast majority. However, in the United States, we've had a very disturbing uh, sets of development. Our government has not had a single press briefing or report on safety. We are seven months into the program, and this is a widely utilized product. It's a promoted product, but there's no information on safety given to the public. This is unprecedented. We have safety information given on household close to a 30-minute loss of feed here, so it's been erased. The U.S. Senate and other uh, governmental agencies and the press uh, on this issue of a lack of transparency on safety. Last week, a federal lawsuit was filed because in the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services database, there are over 45,000 individuals who have died after the vaccine. This is unprecedented. The most any, any number of patients that have ever died after any single vaccine is 25. The most that ever come into a database this single year with 500 million shots is 158 deaths. So to have over 45,000 deaths recorded in the Center for Medicaid, Medicaid Services is unprecedented. The Centers for Disease Control itself has verified 11,000 deaths. And we know many deaths are not reported to the CDC, but the immediate mortality rate is astounding. There are now independent analyses, one by uh, Rose in Israel uh, using the U.S. data and one by McLaughlin in London showing that 48% of the deaths have occurred with, or 50% of the deaths have occurred within 48 hours and 80% of the deaths have occurred within a week. 86% of these deaths have no other explanation. Now, the vast majority of deaths have occurred uh, have occurred in people in their 70s or 80s. But tragically, we've already had 15 children under the age of 18 die after the vaccine. Now, these were ostensibly healthy individuals who died. And 79 individuals under age 30 die after the vaccine. The U.S. FDA has warnings, official warnings out on Pfizer and Moderna for myocarditis or heart inflammation in people under age 30. The CDC has already verified 2,000 cases of myocarditis. The, C the FDA also has warnings out for Johnson & Johnson vaccine for uh, blood clots in women ages 18 to 48, as well as uh, a um, neurologic uh, injury syndrome called Guillain-Barre syndrome. On May 29th, May 27th, Frank et al. published the Pfizer data in children aged 12 to 15. This was a randomized trial of 2,300 children, uh, and they re half received the Pfizer vaccine, half received placebo. 
The Pfizer vaccine resulted in, in avoiding 18 cases of COVID-19, which were very mild. They were like having a cold or an upper respiratory tract infection. There was no mention of reduction of spread of disease. There's no mention, there was no benefit on severe disease. There was an antibody rise, but in about 60 to 80% of the children became sick, developed fever, body aches, muscle aches, and about 20 to 30% of them had to take time off of school. So the vaccine had an immediate effect. It's my interpretation at this point in time, and I am in line with the evidence-based consulting group in the England, uh, which is the principal uh, consultant to the World Health Organization, that the vaccines are at this point in time considered unsafe for human use in any age category. The evidence-based con consulting group has recommended to the MHRA to remove mira, these for public mira. use. There is a mira. manuscript from Bruno and colleagues with 57 authors, 17 different countries that have advised uh, uh, all the countries that if they can't have data safety monitoring boards, clinical event adjudication committees and human ethics boards review the safety data, if they won't do this, that these drugs should be removed from the market. We have uh, physician uh, petitions in and nursing petitions into the US FDA to not fully approve these uh, agents because there's been no reporting and transparency on safety. So to finish and conclude, I do not believe these um, products are safe for human use. I am not convinced that they have any impact in preventing uh, the development of COVID-19 that's of clinical significance. We have data from the Ministry of uh, Israel dated uh, July 17th, that of individuals uh, ages 20 and above, uh, where 80% of the population has been vaccinated, there are 80% of the COVID-19 cases are in the vaccinated group. And so from that analysis, it appears as if the vaccine uh, is doing nothing with respect to the current uh, variant, which is known to be the Delta variant. In the United States, we have 83% of our cases are the Delta variant. And so at least the Pfizer vaccine, which Pfizer vaccine produces the fewest number of antigenic targets for antibody formation, it appears as if the Pfizer vaccine at this point in time is obsolete and uh, is not having a protective effect. We know that Israel's current number of cases is about 20% of its peak that was back in uh, January of this year. So we're having a low rise in Delta. It does not appear to be uh, uh, impacted by the vaccine whatsoever. And we have multiple sources of evidence uh, that the uh, vaccine is allowing transmission of the virus. Uh, there was a wedding in Houston, Texas, where everyone was vaccinated and, and multiple people came away from the wedding with the virus. We've had a plane trip of Democratic lawmakers from Texas to Washington. They appear to transmit the virus to each other and then develop COVID. There is a naval vessel of 3,700 sailors uh, who went out fully vaccinated. They made some stops, but it looks like 100 uh, developed COVID. And now we have a paper from Fahrenholt and colleagues in Baylor College of Medicine clearly demonstrating that those who are vaccinated can actually get COVID-19 and then pass it to other people who are vaccinated and they can develop the illness. So at this point in time, my analysis is the vaccines are unsafe for human use and they are ineffective. 
And so there, at this point in time, there would be uh, absolutely no reason under any conditions to vaccinate children uh, with the current sets of COVID-19 vaccines. Wow. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Peter Rukola. Um, so now I'll address the, the bed in if they have any questions to Dr. Peter. Dr. Festi came in very clear and the delivery was 100% excellent. I appreciate your time and your effort. So if I would like to just uh, take all the words and regarding to our present case, the present issue is regarding to the younger crowd and the ages specifically of 12 and under. You spoke, the, whatever the professor spoke about is regarding to the entire vaccine. And uh, so I presume you're talking specifically regarding to the vaccine of COVID or you have issues with other vaccinations? No, I don't have any issues with the evidence-based vaccines. My children have received the full schedule of vaccines. I've received the full schedule of vaccines. I've traveled to India. I've been to Israel several times myself. Um, and uh, I can tell you, I personally, I'm 58 years old. I have asthma and I have blockages in my arteries. I had COVID-19 myself with a much more severe strain than Delta. And I can tell you, knowing what I know now, I would never take the vaccine. I would never take the vaccine. The vaccine injuries, we can't treat. They appear to be irreversible. We have 400,000 certified vaccine injuries in the United States. And Rose and colleagues from Israel published, they tend to skew towards younger people. They're neurologic injury, they are uh, cardiac injury, immunologic and hematologic. We have no information about growth and development in giving these vaccines to children. We have no information. It would be unethical to ever inject a young individual with an unproven, unsafe vaccine with no information on growth and development. It's unethical, it's immoral to do that. And what would the professor, the approach of the professor would be regarding to high risk? High risk individuals can be treated with sequenced multi-drug therapy. I've never been aware of a single child who developed severe disease that couldn't be easily treated. And we use a variety of different medications. I'm in close communication with pediatricians all over the country. And even a child with cystic fibrosis or adult congenital heart disease or, um, uh, a or a cerebral palsy or some other condition can easily be treatable, easily treatable with available drugs. We should never uh, 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 expose these children to experimental gene transfer, dangerous mechanism of action, uh, biologic products that have no proven safety in this group. Very clear, very definite. I appreciate it. One question I'd like to know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a, a study of Frank et al. of 2,300 uh, young adults and that, and that was, that study was, that's Pfizer's uh, Pfizer gave out that study? Yeah, that's the Pfizer. Pfizer this is a study. Yeah, just to be clear, that's Pfizer the Pfizer, that's the Pfizer registrational trials published in New England Journal of Medicine, May 27th. Keep in mind that the US FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine for that group before the release of that paper. They approved the vaccine on May 10th with only the information on the antibodies. 
So our US FDA in their approval letter did not consider any safety information. That's unprecedented that our US FDA would not safeguard children and carefully view safety. It's unprecedented and it's a form of agency malfeasance that is wrongdoing by those in position of authority. So what's your, what's your opinion where the whistle blows on Capitol Hill? We have a variety of uh, whistleblowers. Uh, the federal lawsuit filed last week was probably the very strongest strike uh, as, uh, as a whistleblower attempt, but we have a, a, a very broad malfeasance. We have a unification of uh, doctors groups, the media, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, none of them are presenting or reviewing safety whatsoever, none of them. And there's no presentation of safety to the public, none. Wow. Wow, that was powerful. My goodness. Um, <clears throat> can you imagine that? Can you imagine, let's say you, <laughs> you invented something new to eat. And you said, okay, well, this is, this is safe to eat, but what you're not telling people is that there's some arsenic in it. There's some cyanide in it. Um, it's basically the Jonestown Kool-Aid uh, turned into food form. And it's not going to affect everybody badly because some people have a high tolerance, but many people it's going to affect, but you don't tell anybody about that. <clears throat> So you open up a restaurant and you start serving this to people. And so then the, uh, the food inspector comes, you know, and uh, he says, well, you know, I've had a couple of complaints, people getting sick. And you tell the food inspector, well, here's some money, take it and shut up or you're going to die. And I'm going to, we're going to go after your family. Okay. Food inspector is probably going to walk away. Um, if he's an, a moral man, he'll do something about it, but, or woman. Um, so that's basically what you have. You have all these people that are in bed with her. They've all been bought off. Okay. I grew up in, in Northeastern New Jersey, right across the river from New York. Well, about five miles across from, from the Hudson. And, um, I got to see how this stuff works, folks. I got to see how people get bought off, how they get threatened, how what seems to be impossible to happen happens because people are bullied around and everything else this is real life real life is not the brady bunch real life is not uh disney thank god um real life is not anything but real life and don't expect immoral unethical evil and wicked people to act normal to act what we consider normal you know they're not not. They're they're probably irredeemable sinners. Okay, um, I hope I'm wrong about that. But they're people who, in many cases, were were born to be bad. They were born to be wicked and evil, and they will die wicked and evil. So treating them under rules that are made for um, for normal people and people that might slip and slide down a slippery slope every once in a while and then come back to normal. Um, you know, treating them under those rules is, is ludicrous. You know, it's it's it should be that you know what, uh, 
all these people like in the FDA, well, not all the people in the FDA, but the ones that are guilty of getting this stuff approved, uh, the CDC, the CDC should be frocked and, uh, and disassembled. It really should. It's, it's a w- wicked and evil organization. Uh, the WHO, well, they're the world. You can't do anything about them. I'm just talking about American things. Um, Anthony Fauci, <laughs> there's not a tree high enough to hang that guy from. Uh, I don't know. Ever notice how much he looks like uh, Benito Mussolini, by the way? Uh, look at a picture of Anthony Fauci and then look at Benito Mussolini. They could be grandfather and grandson. Um, I'm serious. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's the case. Who knows? Cause we know that the Nazis never really lost. They lost the war, uh, the physical war, but they, they're still involved in the spiritual and the, uh, mental war. Um, so we got all these things going on folks and it's, these are wicked, evil people that just need to be put out of, put out of our misery. You know, and until somebody does that, until the government puts together uh, like a righteous organization or something that goes out and looks for these people, hunts them down and just takes them out, you know, dead or alive, you know, until that happens, this wickedness is going to keep going on. You know, a lot of people, oh, well, you know, in the Old Testament, they killed people and said, well, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people didn't do what they were going to do because they knew if they committed adultery, they were going to die. <clears throat> they knew if they killed somebody, they were going to die. You know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, sometimes is okay. Okay. Yeah, you can pray for your enemies and hope that they get saved. But at the same time, you know, if you don't do something about them, lock them up or get rid of them, then they're just going to continue to be evil. Okay. If you're going to pray, pray that God brings them in the line and gets them out of there. Uh, I always pray Psalm 109 over people like that. Uh, they said we had to pray for Obama. That's all I prayed. Okay. Um, let's see. So I was very impressed by the last two speakers. Very impressed. Okay. I'm going to save uh, Ritzef uh, Levi for last. We're going to go with Amir Shahar. I haven't heard this one before, so we're both in for an education. Okay. But if he's here, I'm sure he's, he's pretty cool. So uh, let's go with uh, Dr. Sh- Amir or Dr. Shahar, let's be respectful, and um, and see what he has to say about all this, okay? Here we go. Dr. Amir Shahar is uh, one of the founding fathers of the emergency uh, medicine in Israel. He has a vast experience uh, in emergency uh, medicine, and also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were the manager of uh, Corona department in one of the hospitals in Israel. So, Dr. Amir Shachar, please, uh, the microphone is yours. Thank you and good, good evening. I'll be a very short and I will try not to repeat what my colleagues said uh, before. And uh, actually, I'll do it when I'm doing all these uh, 18 or 20 months. Uh, I'll bring uh, up uh, data and then leave you to interpret it or to who come to the, to the consequences. Yesterday I had a presentation and I looked at the data regarding the level of immunization and the number of cases in a couple of uh, uh, territories in Israel. You know Beitar elite and you know Modi elite, both are uh, religious 
cities with a population of around 130,000 people, the level of a vaccination or immunization for COVID-19 is around 18, 1.8%. And the number of what they call, what the Ministry of Health calls uh, cases or positive uh, results or corona sick patients yesterday was uh, uh, less than 15, one five in each city. It, it, is the, it is about the same in Beit Shemesh, uh, where the level of uh, immunization is around 20%. And yesterday, there were something like uh, 20 approved uh, cases. Uh, uh, to compare it with the neighborhood of Savion, where I uh, have my clinic, around 4,000 uh, people, 91% of the people are immunized. And yesterday, they counted something like 20 cases. The interpretation of the meaning is used. By the way, both Betarilit and Modi'in are very young. Uh, the population is uh, very young. I think I had the uh, 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 conversation with, with one of the leaders. I think they have something like 400 uh, uh, citizens uh, older than uh, 65. Uh, the second point uh, will be the declaration or presentation. I, I think her name is Dr. Talikinan from the Ministry of Health a couple of days ago. She said that in last March, around 30% of the children up to the age of 16 had antibodies to the COVID-19. They didn't check, of course, because it's uncheckable, the, the uh, immunization by B cells and T cells. But uh, since it was in March, we can assume that at least 40% of the children are immunized. As Professor Wetzel said, it means that if we or they uh, uh, vaccinate children up to the age of uh, 16, about one to three or one to two of them is one that recovered. recovered. You, they probably were asymptomatic, but they were uh, uh, exposed to the virus. They recovered and they are, they are immunized. And then I came to, this, to my third point. Uh, in uh, July 14, an article in the Honorable uh, Medical Journal of Cell, uh, it was uh, uh, found that uh, those people exposed and recovered from a corona, from COVID-19 infection, had both antibodies and cellular B cells and T cells immunity even after seven months. Wow. It means that the exposure, ex exposure to the virus provides good and much better, even a, a, a Professor Gary Arab said it, than a, a vaccination of the people. And my fourth point will be a discussion or argument that is uh, often uh, brought up to describe 
the safety of the vaccination. Many people say that the uh, uh, adverse effect or side effect of a drug or a vaccination, by the way, the, the vaccination is not a vaccination. In the, in the paper of Pfizer, they describe it as a product, not a vaccine yet, but that is important. That uh, adverse effects and side effects appear within a couple of days or weeks or months. Uh, I'll describe a, a forgotten health or medical uh, event that not many people know, but uh, you can find it everywhere. In the 40s and 50 years of the 20th century, a drug by the name of diethylstilbesterol, DES, was given to more than 5 million pregnant women in uh, Europe yeah. and the United States. The proposed action of the drug was to prevent a premature abortion. It was not effective, but it has been used for about uh, 10 or 15 years. 15 to 20 years later, it was found that girls, youngsters, at the age of 15, 16, 17, that were exposed to the drug when their mother was pregnant, developed a rare cancer of the vagina, clear cell adenocarcinoma of the vagina. The drug, the SD cholesterol, is no longer, does not longer exist. You all know about a more famous example of the thalidomid. Its side effects uh, were found uh, uh, in the uh, born babies. And you can say, in, the, in these days, I think in, uh, in 2018, Johnson & Johnson paid, was forced to pay tens of millions of dollars to women who were exposed many years before to talc, to baby's talc, to this uh, white powder that was used uh, uh, to, uh, to dry uh, uh, the skin of babies or something like that. So, so Shafa, if I'm sorry to, to cut you off, could you just uh, um, summarize and give your you know, bottom line? Because uh, we have a prayer. Okay, okay, okay. What I wanted to say is that the only one thing, adverse effect, and especially adverse effects to a product that is quite new. It's a manipulation of the, of the uh, genetic uh, material in uh, ourselves is, uh, uh, is not known. It, and, and, and we know that it spreads within different cells uh, in the body and it is found in the ovaries, in the liver, in the brain. So we don't know if it will be, if you've done something wrong in 10 years or 20 years, especially thinking about young uh, uh, children. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Romeo. I'm sorry that um, okay, we don't have okay. any time to elaborate and answer some questions. Um, so thank you very much for your time. That was interesting. He brought up the thalidomide thing. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we don't learn from prior mistakes, huh?
I should say the drug companies don't learn from prior mistakes. Well, you don't want to learn if the bottom line is money. You know, scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay. A lot of people think it's money is the root of all evil. No, money by itself is nothing. The love of it is the root of all evil. And it just tends to do that to people. Not everybody, but, you know, sometimes people get a little bit of money, a lot of money, and uh, they go hog wild with it, you know. Um, and they do bad things. And uh, there's some people like the uh, the big bankers and stuff that uh, love money. But now they've had all the money that they could ever want. Now they want power. They love power. So the fact that this COVID thing is going on as long as it has is a power thing. It's not anything to do with healing people or with a disease or an infection. It's about controlling people. They want to control you and me to see how far that they can do that by slowly incrementing upward their push. Okay. Um, you've all heard of the Froiled Boggs bro <laughs> Broil, excuse me, Boiled Frog Syndrome, right? Um, if you take a frog and you throw him in a cool water, he'll love it. Stay in the water forever. You start heating up that water real gradually till it's tepid. And, till, and then when it's um, just warm to the touch, frog doesn't move because the frog's body adapts to it. Remember, frogs are cold-blooded. Um so then you keep turning it up and the frog keeps adapting to it until you get it to boiling and the frog boils to death. And that's what they're trying to do to me and you. They're trying to push a little more, turn that heat up just a little more every time to get you and I to acquiesce to their demands. Okay. They're trying to get you and I to say yes, sir, to everything. First of all, they're not sirs. We're free people. Okay. Sirs are or royalty, Sir Walter Raleigh, you know, to, to give you an example. Um, so they're not sirs. They're just regular people who have gotten lucky or born into rich families and, um, and don't know what it's like for me and you. And they don't care what it's like for me and you. And that's why they can take Israel and turn it into a lab experiment. Because they're just people. They're not, well, they're, they don't even think we're people anymore, to tell you the truth. Uh, we're just numbers. And when you're a number and you're not per a person, you don't have an identity anywhere except for the number. And when you're a number, it's easier to do, you know. Um, let's put it this way. If, if you were kind of wicked, if I was kind of wicked, whatever, and somebody came up and said, hey, what you're doing has severely impacted the lives and family of number 573286. Well, you go, I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. I really don't care. But if you come up and you say, hey, Bob Jones that lives in Portland, Oregon, has a family, a nice wife, uh, four or five kids, you know, has been work hard worker all of his life and everything else. What you've done is severely impacted his life. Well, if you got any conscience whatsoever, you're going to do something to correct that, right? Or you're not going to bother him anymore, one of the two. So when you dehumanize somebody by giving casting them a number or placing a number on them and okay folks I don't know what's 
going on with this, but I keep it keeps rejoining me to this uh, to this broadcast. So I, I keep it on this particular tab so I can catch it. But um, anyway, I guess what we're trying to do is important, and the powers that be don't want it to happen. So, but it's happening. So, um, kiss my grits. Uh, anyway, um, so let's go with. Uh, let's see. We got to go over here. All right. We have to go now with uh, Retsev Levy. We've listened to those guys already. And then when we get done with him, I think we'll venture on to another court and look at some more testimonies because we didn't finish all the ones from the New York court. And uh, we'll go with that. So, And, you know, maybe a lot of people think that what I'm doing is overkill, but I would rather have more testimonies on here than less. And, you know, if I put three testimonies on, you're going to say, hey, this video is kind of neat. The guy had three testimonies on there from doctors and researchers. But if I, you go up to him, you say, hey, this guy has a series of videos or, or audios that you can listen to. And they have the testimony of 20 or 30. Now, don't get scared. I'm not going to do that many. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it holds more weight. You know, the testimony of 20 or 30 I think everybody would agree is more important than a testimony of three, unless the testimony of three were like three perfect people or something like that. But anyway, um, so let's listen to uh, Professor Retsev Levy. Um, he's a very th uh, th free thinker. He um, he even declines to have himself introduced at the beginning. Uh, I thought it was kind of rude at the beginning, but you know, he he lives in Israel, so he knows rabbis better than i do <laughs> so he, he didn't want any fame or fortune he just wants to get the message out there so i'm going to go ahead and start this and then we'll go okay here we go but just to mention that the, he's a professor of operations uh, you, you don't need to introduce me i will tell about myself it, okay, it, no it's problem. not that important it's not that important i believe that i hope that i'm going to talk about things that will make sense regardless of my title so uh but, but let okay, me, let so me, the microphone is yours. Please go ahead. My, my name is Retsef. I was born in Israel. Um, I spent almost 12 years in the Israeli military as an intelligence officer in the area of special operations. And somehow my career took me to academia pretty much by mistake. And over the last 15 years, I, I, I'm a faculty member at the MIT Sloan School of Management. This is a a university at the at, in Cambridge, uh, Boston, near Boston in the U.S. And I've been uh, doing research um, in the area of um, uh, risk management and advanced analytics, uh, namely using data to inform decisions in various complex environments, uh, but healthcare systems and health public health systems, as well as uh, food and agriculture systems, have, was a was a major part of uh, is a major part of my my research focus. And uh, during COVID, I've been um, consulting with several uh, states here in the U.S. Um, around protecting uh, nursing homes um, and other issues related to uh, predicting how the pandemic will, will evolve. And I also have been, I've been interacting with several ministers in, uh, in Israel um, and been involved to, with, with others uh, in trying to uh, impact uh, what, is, uh, what is happening in Israel as well. And uh, let me just start. I'm, I'm, I, I personally, I'm vaccinated, and um, I'm in general. When when I think about vaccines, I think vaccines are 
one of the most uh, important inventions of medicine or modern medicine. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very, in my base, in my baseline, I'm very pro-vaccine. Um, I do not believe that we are in front of a Holocaust. Uh, I, I would try to be a little bit more measured, but I, I want to take you back and remind you um, what is the standard process of approving vaccines and drugs in general. Uh, this is typically a process that takes uh, about four to five years. And uh, the first order things that are being tested, specifically at large scale in multiple stages that are being scrutinized, um, mostly by the FDA and other regulatory authorities, um, the, the, this is a process that there is, is, is assessing both the efficacy of the drug or the vaccine, as well as the long-term um, uh, side effects or risks that could, could happen, and not generically happen, but also to sub, subpopulations, right? When you think about risk, and, and I'm going to get back to this in a, in a bit, the risk is not uniform to everyone, uh, especially not in the context of COVID. So, uh, and I think that there is a lot of there is a lot of misleading uh, information is being provided to justify certain things without being very specific about what the risk is to different populations. Now, <clears throat> what happened with the COVID vaccines is a, is really an unprecedented uh, process in which, in less than a year, uh, it was not only approved, uh, it was not only allowed to be used, and, and I don't want to use the word approved because this vaccine was never approved. Uh, even up to now, it's being allowed under a special process that is called is that is called emergency use authorization. That's a very special process that was not used too many times in the history uh, by the federal government here in the U.S. And it's designated to emergency situations when there is an immediate life-threatening condition where it justified to bypass the regular process. And up to that, up to today, right? All the vaccines, not only the one that is being used in Israel, uh, are not approved by the FDA. Although for many months it was misleadingly uh, presented by the Ministry of Health in, the, in Israel as approved by the FDA, using the word "approved," it's not approved. It's unapproved. It's being allowed to be used under emergency authorization. So. And I'm, I'm mentioning that because under this, the only reason why you would even consider using it without further study is if you believe that the population on which you are using it is under an immediate health threat from the condition that this vaccine is supposed to address. Um, and to be frank with you, I think that when it comes to the high-risk population and what is special about COVID-19, that it affects people in a dramatically different way. Uh, people that are older, you know, over 55, over 65, you sort of can argue where is the threshold. And people that have certain comorbidities are dramatically affected differently than people that are younger, healthy, and especially kids. So the range between kids and let's say the, the range between, a, let's say a 16 year old, 15 year old kid that is healthy and a, an adult of 75 year old is factor of 8,500 in terms of the risk, more for the older person. That's a very unusual, uh, that, that's a very specific characteristics of COVID-19 that is not, for example, is not true for flu 
flu actually um, risks, the, the risk from flu is high both at the younger ages and at the older ages. What luckily we have with COVID that it actually affects younger and healthier people much, much differently than older and sicker people. So if you ask me, I think that potentially there was a justification to use this emergency use authorization when it comes to uh, older people, higher risk people that had a, a substantial uh, uh, risk of death or serious, serious illness. And again, I'm not taking away anything that was said here before on the potential other treatments and therapeutics. I think it's a strategic uh, direction that needs to be pursued regardless of anything. Uh, and it's unfortunate that we did not uh, uh, pursue that. And in fact, if, if you would ask me what to recommend to the government here, one of the recommendations uh, to any government, but the government in Israel, one of my recommendations would be to invest much more in additional therapeutics to think it's, 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 it should be part of a portfolio of, of things that we should do against this uh, virus. Hallelujah. Um, so, so that's kind of one thing that I would like to start. And one of the things that has to come with deviation from the main, main standard process specifically going in a year or less than a year or with maybe when it comes to the kids that maybe only 2000 kids were tested so far in a clinical trial that means that only 1000 of them received the vaccine the other one did not receive it because it's placebo right it's a control it's a controlled experiment uh one of the mandates that should have been implemented uh with that is a very very detailed and thorough surveillance uh, program about side effects and I think that, again, before talking about opinions, a fact is that Israel as a, as a country has nothing of that at the moment. Currently, there is no surveillance that I would call effective surveillance or something near that after side effects. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories that there is a, an attempt to shut down things, but at the very least, there is no transparent or easy or any way for doctors to report in a systematic way about side effects. Uh, and that's very unfortunate because uh, in Israel, you have all the conditions to be leading on that because we have uh, a, a state level health system that is very coordinated, very integrated. So presumably one could have collected all the data needed to do that, to conduct such a surveillance. Uh, in the US, there is a better surveillance, but it's also uh, suffering from some flaws that are characteristics to the very fragmented healthcare system uh, in the US. Just to give you a very illustrative example, if you think about EMS, emergency medical services, in Israel, we have one national emergency service, Magen David Adom. Uh, in the US, every town has its own service. So if you want to collect the data in Israel, you just go to one place, you, you have it. If you want to collect the same data in the US, you're going to have to go and try to integrate across many, 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 many cities. So maybe they have the benefit of the doubt. We in Israel don't have the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So now let's just talk about kids specifically. Uh, I, I think where, you, where things come to kids, it's very obvious that there is no emergency threat, right? I, I think that... Uh, that's something that's going to be very hard to argue that there is an emergency threat. And I think that here there is a lot of misleading information uh, that unfortunately the Ministry of Health is presenting facts or semi-facts in a, in a very wrong context. So I'm sure you heard 
that one in six kids that were positive for COVID-19 were hospitalized. That might be maybe a correct fact, but that fact does not mention several other facts that are very, very important to put that number in context. The first number is that between 40 to 70 or even more of, the, of those kids that got hospitalized were not hospitalized because of COVID-19. They were hospitalized by because of other medical reasons. Many of, of them were, had maybe very significant other medical conditions, unfortunately. And while they were hospitalized, they were tested positive for COVID and were defined as COVID patients. This is something that was discovered already by several uh, studies in the world that not only in Israel, but across the world, there is an inflated number or num infl uh, there are inflated numbers uh, that um, many kids that were in the hospital for other medical reasons were classified as, co as COVID-19 patients. By the way, that's true also for adults, adult patients. So when you hear the current numbers of the number of uh, uh, serious ill uh, patients, seriously ill patients currently, I would discount this number um, and let me just give you a very recent example. We just heard about a kid that played with the, uh, some explosive material. It exploded in his face. Unfortunately, the kid was rushed to the hospital and was put under coma as part of his treatment and was tested positive. This, this kid is going to be counted as a serious uh, Ill, Ill, Ill patient, uh, critical pa patient, a, a, ch a child that is critically ill with COVID-19. That's going to be the statistics that you're going to hear if you read the newspapers or the Ministry of Health uh, uh, dashboard. So, so that's kind of one thing. This one of six is, is something very, very unreliable to think about. The second thing that is even more important, we know that the number of positive cases that were diagnosed is by far less than the true number of people that were exposed to COVID-19. In fact, the Ministry of Health uh, itself did recently a survey of blood samples from uh, kids. There is a, a bank of um, a bank of blood. This is actually not me. This is data from Ministry of Health that is being done on a regular basis. This is not just specialized specialized to COVID. It's being done to monitor and surveillance and have a surveillance of uh, <clears throat> different viruses in the community. So it's representative of the population, and that study found that the, at the ages of 12 to 15, for example, 30% of the samples that were taken in uh, March 2021, very recently, suggested that 30% of them were exposed to COVID-19 and already have antibodies. In a second, I will tell you what that, that means. <clears throat> but the first thing that that means is that it's, it's not unlikely that 30% of the kids in Israel, or even more, are actually already protected against COVID-19. And by the way, natural exposure to the virus is providing you a far more robust and long-term immunity uh, against the virus that is actually more robust against variants of the virus than the vaccine that the more we learn about it provides probably relatively short-term uh, protection that is more narrow to the parts of the part of the, uh, the virus that was exposed to the body in the vaccine, which is only a small part of the virus versus when you are naturally uh, exposed, you are exposed to the entire virus and you develop a much more robust set of antibodies and including a long-term memory uh, of immunity. And that's the reason why we don't see any reinfections 
or any infections of people that were already exposed. So when we, when we talk about the risk to kids, if you actually assume that 30% of the kids were exposed, the risk is essentially zero, right? And that's being confirmed by very vast studies that came from very recently from the UK that unfortunately are not being publicized by the Ministry of Health, where they looked at, at close to half a million kids that were exposed to COVID-19 and were tested positive and looked at, at who, what, what, which one of them was actually in the hospital because of COVID-19. And what they found is that the base risk of mortality is 0.0005%, essentially zero, and similarly the, the risk of hospitalization. But here, here's another thing that people are not emphasizing. When you actually look, look on most of the deaths and most of the hospitalization, these are kids that are not healthy at their baseline. So the risk for healthy kids is even much smaller than that because the proportion of sick kids, people, kids with oncology, with cancer, kids with some serious heart problems, in the, in the number of deaths from COVID, in the number of children that are hospitalized because of COVID is far bigger than the proportion in the population. So the, the risk specifically for healthy kids is actually very, very low. So let me now tell you a little bit more about why do I think that we are under-detecting currently the side effects. And I'm going to talk about a very specific study that we just finished with the Magen David Adom, with the National EMS in Israel. Uh, this is based on their data and it was done in collaboration with them. So it's a very reliable data that looked on two and a half years from 2019 to 2020 and the first half of 2021 on the number of calls to MADA, to the Israeli EMS, for events classified retrospectively by the teams that went and took care of the patient as cardiac arrest. This is when someone drops and their heart stopped breathing, stopped uh, 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 acting, and uh, heart attacks. So two different classes of calls. <clears throat> and what we've observed from the data is that there is an unexplained dramatic increase in the number of these calls in 2021, uh, specifically 25% when you look on the entire population, but for some subgroups, for example, women at ages 20 to 29, the increase is 83%. This is something really dramatic. And to make things more concerning, when we look on the weekly number of calls throughout this entire period of time, and I just want to remind you, 2019 is a period of time when we don't have COVID-19 and we don't have vaccines. 2020 is a time where we have two waves of COVID-19 pandemics and we don't have vaccines. And 2021, we have the third wave of, of pandemic and vaccines. And when we look and analyze it statistically, there is a significantly statistical correlation, significant statistical correlation between the, uh, 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 the vaccine rollout in this specific age group. So we don't look on the number of doses given to the population. We look on the number of doses given to the specific age population and the number of calls in the specific age population, EMS calls, emergency calls. And we see very, very striking 
statistical correlation between the two, where basically uh, we see an increase once the second dose, the number of second dose of the vaccine are going up, then we see a decrease uh, in the number of second doses and in the number of cases. And then we see another increase that can be uh, associated with the decision of Israel to give a single dose to people that recovered from COVID. By the way, that's a special policy, unique policy that only Israel implemented. Nobody else implemented that. Um, this is in spite of the fact that we don't see any, any, anyone that was infected being reinfected. But nevertheless, Israel decided to give a, a single dose to people that recovered. And that single dose seems to be actually correlated with another spike of events. Now, now, what I'm saying, what I'm telling you is not a proof of causality based on the highest scientific uh, threshold that usually people will apply, but it's very concerning because we don't see the same impact during 2020 when we had the only the pandemic. So someone that says, hey, these, these events are maybe the result of the virus, needs to explain why we don't see any signal in 2020, right? And we only see the signal when the vaccines are starting. Now, to make things even more concerning, this is actually can be explained by things that we already know about the vaccine. The Ministry of Health already posted a report that connects this vaccine with very probable causal uh, connection to a condition that is called myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart. It's a life-threatening condition. And they assessed that the risk for young people, specifically age 16 and 19, is one in 3,000. Now they try to portray this as a, as a simple uh, condition, but the fact of the matter that when you look on the number of what happened to those kids, half of them spent time in the critical unit, in the critical intensive unit, which means that that was not that easy. And I can tell you that regardless of what the outcome of your, um, of, of out, out of such a condition, first of all, we don't know the long-term outcomes, but at the very least, that kid will not be able to do any physical exercise for at least three to six months. I, I think there are doctors on the call. I think that they will confirm that that's the practice currently. Like if you had a myocarditis, you had a heart inflammation, you have to rest for at least uh, three, three months or if not six months. Now, the, the other thing about this is that they also only looked on people that positively reported about symptoms that, and they were tested and diagnosed positively with myocarditis. And when you read the literature on myocarditis, what you see, and I'm talking about articles from the last 20 years in the top clinical journals, New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, these are premier clinical journals, maybe the best, the best clinical journals in the world. So that's a very serious um, um, knowledge, very based on knowledge. What we know about this condition that is very hard to diagnose and the two things that are the two primary facts about this condition is that A, it's often being confused with a heart attack because it's hard to be diagnosed. And the second thing is based on autopsy that people did over the years to young individuals that suddenly got an unexplained cardiac arrest and died. They found that in 12 to 20% of the cases, the reason was a, an asymptomatic myocarditis that caused that death. Now, what do we see? We actually see exactly an increase in cardiac arrest in ages 16 to 39 
and an increase in the heart attacks in ages 16 to 39. So there is a very natural explanation of what we see that is consistent with what we know about myocarditis. And we already know that myocarditis is uh, connected to uh, the vaccine and is primarily connected to young individuals getting the vaccine. Now, let me tell you a few more things. So the, 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 the one thing that I think we need to do Im Im immediately is to check for each one of these individuals when they were vaccinated, where they were vaccinated, were they exposed to COVID-19 and so forth. And unfortunately, the Ministry of Health is not willing to listen even. We, we sent that report to the Ministry of Health twice and we haven't heard back. I can tell you that when I sent this report to scientists in the advisory committee to the government of the UK on vaccines, not only the COVID-19 vaccine, on all vaccines, they went, came back in five minutes, put me in touch with the equivalent of the FDA in, in the UK, and they immediately asked to read the report. And I can tell you that this report is in the hands of other regulatory agencies in other countries without getting into details because they asked me to keep it confidential. But it's not, in, it's not getting any response from the Ministry of Health. And that's to me, regardless again, what is the right thing to, be, to, to do? What I learned as a risk management expert is that if you have processes like that, you are on the way to have a disaster. Because that, that's a red flag to me if people are not willing to check. How can, you, how can you argue that you don't want to check something like that? Even if, let's say that there were no vaccines, you just see an increase of, of, a, of conditions that are not supposed to happen to young individuals. Suddenly it's happening and you don't want to test, check what, what is going on. That's to me a very concerning sign that decisions are not being made in the right way they're supposed to be, be made while we're coming to kids that are at low risk to start with, at extremely low risk, and we want them to get vaccinated. And, and let me, sorry, let me just tell you a few more facts. One of the things that the Ministry of Health Committee that was appointed to investigate the myocarditis found was that most of the cases that occurred happened after the second dose. They, they investigated 62 cases, 56 of them happened after the second dose of the vaccine. When they looked at deaths, they basically decided to look only two days after the vaccines, the vaccine shot. That's something that is not clear why they decided to do that. But they also say there's something very interesting that they say that the other six cases after the 62 that happened after the second, the first dose, were people that were they were tested. It turned out that they had COVID without knowing that. And that's that's matching exactly what we see. That we see the association with the second vaccine and with vaccinating people that recovered with a single dose. And now I want to connect that to the, the early fact that I mentioned to you. If indeed 30% of the kids 12 to 15 are already exposed to COVID-19 and they don't even know about that, what could happen if we go and give them two doses of this vaccine? Think about this. This is, this is so my point is, we, we should not think about the decision as not vaccinating or vaccinating everybody with two doses. There are more middle grounds that should be considered, potentially 
There are kids that are high risk, maybe we want to vaccinate them. We can do serology tests to kids to see if they were exposed and then make a decision of giving them maybe one dose. Uh, by the way, when you look on the uh, trials that Moderna and Pfizer did, one dose was almost uh, uh, bringing everybody to maximum level of protection. Uh, the, the reason why they decided to go, to, to go with two doses was the frail people, the very frail people, uh, they needed another booster. That's actually something that we see also in, in, in flu vaccines, that their immune system of young individuals is very different than the immune system of old people, right? But for some reason, they decided to go with one size fit them all. And I don't think that that's justified. So if, to summarize what I'm trying to tell you here, A, this vaccine is unapproved. It's only for emergency use authorization. We can not claim, there is no valid claim that kids are under immediate threat that justifies emergency authorization. I don't think that that's valid. And we already know that vaccinating them for the sake of others is not going to be really practical or relevant because we know that vaccinated people can get infected and infect others. And we also know, as you already heard from others, that kids are not playing a major role in infecting others. So the only question is whether it's worthwhile to give, the, to give this vaccine to the kids to protect the kids. And in that, if that's the question, given that it's just emergency authorization, just for this, it's not appropriate to give it to them. But to make things worse, we already know, and we're starting to understand more, that there are risks associated, especially for young people, and potentially this is because we are over activating their immune system, either because we give them two doses or because we give them the vaccine after they were already exposed without knowing that in a silent way, because there are many asymptomatic infections, especially among kids. And we are potentially going to risk kids with no good reason, including causing them deaths or serious cardiac uh, events. And that's true also for younger individuals. And maybe the most concerning thing, thing here, we, in spite of the fact that we rushed a process that takes five years usually to do it in less than a year, we did not follow with the appropriate surveillance system that Israel has nothing of that in spite of the fact that there are some concerning signs from data of the Ministry of Health, of Magen David Adon, not my data, their data, right? That this might affect seriously young individuals. So when I look at it and I sum it up, I think that it's irresponsible today to come up with a blanket uh, recommendation or and beyond that, just no recommendation, pressure to vaccinate kids with two doses of this vaccine I think we should take the time, we should understand the risks much, much better and clear some of these risks or validate them and then incorporate them into decision-making. And I don't think in the future, if I, if I kind of, well, I anticipate, I don't think that in the future kids will have to get two doses anyhow, if any, right? I think it's gonna be irresponsible to do something like giving and putting pressure on young individuals and kids to get the two doses of the vaccine. That could cause more harm significant harm than bringing any benefit.
Okay, um, Professor Levy, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm happy to stay and answer a few questions. I, yeah, I, 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 I know, but we have a, a very short schedule because sure. the rabbis are going to have a, a, the evening prayer at 7 p.m. Israel time. So, uh, and I would like to, we, sure. we have still some more speakers, so we're going to have no to problem. skip, unfortunately, the question. But really, thank you very much for, your, for all no your uh, words. Hmm. Looks like the rabbi on the right wanted to ask some questions and he was hushed up. Huh. <clears throat> I know they have a short schedule. They got to go to prayer. Um, he came up with some very interesting things. And, and, you know, I'd heard before, you know, if they've had COVID, you don't give them a shot. Um, and the fact that when people have COVID, they're giving them one shot afterwards. What the heck was that? You know? Uh, bear in mind, folks, that you talk about a buy-off, a payoff. Um, Israel made deals with Pfizer. That's the only vaccine they have there is Pfizer. They made deals with Pfizer to <clears throat> basically become the lab experiment of the world. And um, and I'm not talking about all Jews. It's just the, the, the hierarchy that are there. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by hierarchy, but um and if you look um and it was this way a few months ago the chief medical officer in israel works for pfizer explain that to me okay um now you hear you have a, <laughs> a a very severe conflict of interest okay because basically pfizer is running israel Okay, um, I don't you talk about making a deal with the devil, for goodness sakes. Uh, I don't know what kind of deal they made, but uh, supposedly they, they agreed to vaccinate the whole nation if Israel would just turn over the data and they would get a really good deal, such a deal, on, um, on the vaccines. Oh, boy, I don't know. It's just, um, this is, you know, that's blatant. It really is blatant. And. You know, I really liked Bibi Netanyahu a lot. I thought he was a really good leader and everything like that. But when I saw that he was just another Zionist, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. There are good Zionists and bad Zionists. Um, Yeshua is a Zionist. God is a Zionist. In that, is he, he wants, and as we do, Israel to be back in the land. Okay? Basically, that's what a Zionist is. The person that desires for Israel to be back in the land. That's the good Zionist. The bad Zionist is the kind that is a corporate Zionist. Um, and they're run by the big banks. They're run by powerful families and everything else. And unfortunately, that's what's ensconced in Israel right now. Entrenched is another good word. Um, Netanyahu, I don't know if they threatened his family um, or what they did, but he, he uh, definitely went with the deal and and, uh, you know, that went crazy. But uh, I thought maybe when he left, there'd be a leader that would get in there. And uh turns out that Bennett's the same way, if not worse. <clears throat> and um, so I don't know. I don't know if somebody's holding the gun to their heads or if they're just corrupt and evil and they're going to do it anyway. But to have the, to have the souls of... What, how many people are in Israel now? Six million. 
7 million Jews um, in Israel have their souls in your hand. Oh, I'm sorry. I should do, I should do these shows earlier. Um, to have their souls in your hand and to just take them and go for, for a good deal for money. It's, but you know, there, there have been other attempts to destroy the nation of Israel, to destroy the Jews and they've all fallen to naught. Okay. And perhaps Yahweh has worked something into the, the Jewish genome that would cause a, um, cause this not to work. So hopefully so anyway let's um let's go back here it looks like we finished all the testimonies for for this particular court it's kind of fun going to court and not having to sit there huh so let's go back and see oh let's just go up here let's see that was Malay. Oh, we looked at Brooklyn yet. This guy's got a bunch of videos. I don't know if we can. Uh, let's look at Dr. Ryan Cole, see how many he's got. <laughs> Let me see how long they are. Bear with me, folks. The death rate in children is statistically zero. Oh, yes, okay. Every, they look like they're short. Is a tragedy. Those children that have passed have had some. Okay. Since these are short videos, seven times one, two, three, four, five, it'd be 35 minutes. That would probably bring us right to maybe a little past the end. So the sooner we get started, the better, I think, right? This guy looks like he's a, not just a doctor, but a statistician. Um, so we're going to listen to testimony from Dr. Ryan Cole, MD. It's very interesting because when I was a kid, I had a doctor, Dr. Cole. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> board certified anatomic <clears throat> yeah anatomic and clinical pathologist subspecialty training uh dermatopathology dermatopathology with molecular diagnostics founder uh ceo of medical direct and medical director of cold diagnostics idaho oh he's local Tests on uh, dangers of COVID-19 vaccine in children. Ooh, okay. If you haven't realized, this is all about the children, folks, and that's cool because it just bleeds over into the adults anyway. So um, let's go ahead and start this, and uh, this ought to be pretty good, Dr. Cole. The death rate in children is statistically zero. Yes, every a death is a tragedy. Those children that have passed have had severe underlying conditions. Um, we need to uh, be very careful about pushing something forward. Yeah. Here's another point Dr. Alexander brought up. Children have a different immune system than adults. So this is from the laboratory side. This is what I do. They have these, these killer T cells, um, natural killer cells, and they have two to three times the amount of these than adults do. And so their immune systems are constantly primed and surveilling and ready to attack any invader. And they have these little uh, granzymes, this enzyme, basically little hand grenades that blow up infected cells. And we, for, we, we treat everybody as though they're the same. The, the older we get, the more our immune system becomes less active, more senescent. Children are super active. <clears throat> now, by locking them down and taking them away from each other and letting them be in their preschools and schools, 
schools, we actually weaken this uh, immune response. They need to be in their preschools, their little Petri dishes together. As Dr. Alex, one of the reasons children don't acquire this infection so much is they have much less of the receptor that binds SARS-CoV-2 in their sinuses, both ACE2 and another receptor called TMPRSS2. They bind less virus and clear it much faster than adults. Um, more studies from around the world show that it's very unlikely for children to be transmitters of this disease. We've seen that from studies all around the world. You know, we're using a, a novel platform we've never used on humanity before. To think that these are approved uh, shots is absolutely false. Uh, these are still an experiment. We have never done anything this large on humanity. We're injecting a gene-based platform to take over our own cell machinery to make a spike protein. Uh, the J and J uses a virus. We in inject a virus to, um, you know, be the vector for genetic material, and and that one is a little less um, uh, less well studied as well in terms of the risks that it carries. Um, another important thing is these are grown on aborted fetal cells, and the J and J shot itself can can, can carry uh, human proteins and even human DNA and the others were uh, developed on aborted fetal cells. The other problem we have with these shots is uh, immune priming. If you get a shot, uh, we know historically many of these viruses, uh, SARS, MERS, Dengue, RSV, you can get a shot for the current variant of the virus, which this shot is not for this variant of the virus. This variant of the virus, we're onto Delta. The shot was made for the original uh, variant, which is now extinct in humanity. So we're giving the wrong shot for a protein that's not really the same protein anymore. We're priming the body with an old antibody against an old protein, trying to stop a new variant of the virus. These um, antibodies then can bind to human tissues. In studies, we've shown that they can bind to 28 different tissues. Um, we're going down the primrose path of problems with what we're doing. These are still investigational. They're emergency authorized. The comirnaty isn't even available in the United States. And here's a, a trick that they pulled. They gave data to get their um, approval, data through March 31st. That was long before Delta even hit. So as, as good as they tried to make their data look, it doesn't apply to Delta. So these vaccines would not even qualify for emergency authorization now. Um, an antibody that you make against these uh, spike proteins, an antibody is forever. If it's a good one, that's great. If it's a bad one, it's forever. And we're tinkering with the immune health for a lifetime if we choose to give an antibody for something that is going to bind and not neutralize and actually trigger other reactions in the human body down the road. We have no long-term safety data for children, as Dr. Alexander pointed out. Um, statistically, children survive at 100%. I know... Um, Steve is going to probably hit the highlights of the horrendous amounts of death and adverse reactions and myocarditis that we've seen. You can see that this is likely the worst, well, not likely, it is the worst outcome we've had uh, compared to all vaccines combined in the last 30 years. You can see on the far right how much damage and death has happened from just this last 10 or 11 months alone. And most of those deaths occur within the first couple of days of the shot. My approach to this is when an unapproved drug or therapy is new and experimental, all adverse reactions and deaths should be considered to be caused by that agent until proven otherwise. And what we're doing is societally is just looking the other way. We should, this should be like the French legal system, guilty until proven innocent.
the spike is a toxin. So we're giving a shot that makes the spike and the spike is toxic. These are investigational. It doesn't stay in the muscle. We know from studies from Harvard and Ogata that the spike circulates. Uh, Journal of Indi Immunology, Bondal, shows in exosomes that may circulate for up to four months. Dr. Patterson shows that the spike can circulate for up to 15 months after an infection in our monocytes. The spike hones to that ACE2 receptor and there's another receptor on our platelets and our red blood cells and our, our blood uh, tube linings called CD147. That causes clotting. If we give the children a shot that makes a spike and that spike circulates, it can stay in their body for a long time and cause clotting, cause all sorts of um, heart disease, brain disease. Um, and the spike alone causes this, just the spike alone. Studies at the Salk Institute showed just taking the spike, no, no rest of the body, the virus. The spike is the toxic part of the virus. And we're giving a vaccine that makes the toxic part of the virus. That's completely illogical and nonsensical. We can see on the left, clear lung. On the right, this is lung with damage. All that blue is inflammation just from the spike, not from virus, just from the spike. This is a vessel, clean and smooth lines on the left, on the right, blasted apart. That's the spike landing and inducing inflammatory change, destroying mitochondria, destroying vessel linings. This is heart muscle. On the left, all those blue dots in those five frames, that's inflammation in the heart tissue. On the upper right, it should be nice and pink and pure. On the bottom right, that's scarring. That's what happens after inflammation of the heart. After the second shot, we're seeing tons of myocarditis in the children, statistically at rates we've never seen before. We know it's the spike protein from the vaccine causing it. Why would we damage the hearts of our young men and our young women for a lifetime? It crosses into the brain and causes brain inflammation. Oh, I'm not even gonna comment on any of that. I'm just going right to the next one. Here we go. We have no long-term safety data we didn't do any biodistribution studies of where this, this toxic shot goes. Japan did. They showed one of the areas it concentrates is the ovary. We don't have any um, long-term fertility studies. We don't have any studies on how mutagenic it will be in the newborn and in the fetus. And we know that the ovaries and the eggs in the woman's body carry lots of ACE2 receptors. That spike can bind there and cause lots of inflammation. We know the nanoparticles go there and can cause lots of inflammation. COVID causes clotting. We have ways to check for clotting after both COVID and the vaccines. And the vaccines are causing the same clotting that the disease does. The shots in studies, even though individuals may form some antibodies, and I will argue that those are now the wrong antibodies to the wrong variant, um, it also suppresses our immune system. Our ability, our, our interferon helps us fight off all viral infections. We see from studies that that drops. Study in, in youth in the Netherlands uh, showed that giving the Pfizer vaccine drops the ability of the immune system to recognize other viruses. It suppresses important receptors in cells uh, called toll-like receptors. These are little lock and key pattern receptors that recognize patterns of pathogens all day long. The problem is, is when these receptors drop, we're more susceptible to other viruses. 
like mono, like herpes, like shingles, like papillomavirus. And we're seeing marked increases of those in the laboratory in people that have gotten the shot. Why would we do this to our children? We don't know how long this lasts. Those other two receptors down there, TL3, TLR3 and 4, those keep cancer in check. I am getting countless calls from colleagues around the world. I'm seeing cancers as an oncologist I've been able to manage that are taking off like wildfires. Left and right, I'm getting these calls. In my laboratory, I have a 300% increase in endometrial cancers that I've seen this year since the shots started. We know that the portion of the spike called the S2 spike binds to two very important genes. P53 is the guardian of the genome. This receptor blocks cancer or lets cancer go wild. We know that the S2 subunit binds to this. This can be another reason that we're seeing an uptick in cancers. We don't know for how long this spike is going to circulate. We also know that the spike can get into the nucleus of T cells and we, on the daily basis, our cells have a beautiful mechanism of repairing themselves. The spike, when it gets into the nucleus, inhibits that repair mechanism. This is life and death. When does this body stop producing the spike um, post-shot? Well, there are no good long-term studies showing that it does. And we know from Dr. Patterson's study that we've seen spike in monocytes for 15 months after infection. Who's to say how long the vaccine produce spike is going to produce or stop? We don't know yet. These are things that need to be answered before we ever start a vaccine, let, it go, let alone push it onto a population, let alone push it onto our children. The shots are a therapy. You know, they're not a vaccine. They have failed. They fall below threshold. The CDC had to change the definition of a vaccine in order to slip these gene-based shots under the radar and call them a vaccine. They got a makeover, and it was very disingenuous, and it was very, I mean, they prevaricated, basically. In order to get their, their shot approved, they lied about what it was. It's really a therapy, and you cannot force a therapy on humanity, especially on children. They do not prevent acquisition of disease. They do not prevent transmission of disease. They, these shots do not prevent disease, and they do not prevent death. They produce a protein or an antibody to the spike, to the detriment. We call this original antigenic sin. You expose people to this spike shot first, and your body has less ability to recognize the rest of the virus from an immunology point of view. Those who are COVID recovered make this wonderful antibody in their tears and their mucosa that can bind and block virus. Those who get the shot don't make this. That's why we see those who've gotten the shot getting COVID again because they don't make this antibody because of that sin that their body is committed making the wrong antibody. So this is another very important area of immunology. And we have an immune system, yes, that makes antibodies and more importantly is our, our T cell memory. We know from SARS-CoV-1 that 18 years later, those individuals that had it still have T cell memory. People panic about antibodies. I don't. If you've been exposed and had the virus, you're immune unless you're super immune suppressed or have some underlying medical condition that's severe. It is rare, exceedingly rare for somebody to get COVID again. So to hear our media say, or our government say that the COVID recovered need a shot is a medical and an immuno immunological and a virolo virological lie. The vaccine failures, <laughs> it's a euphemism. They call them breakthrough cases. They're failures, they're vaccine failures. In Sweden, 900,000 patients study showed that after six months, 
there was no difference between those who got a shot and those who didn't. They were still getting disease. And if you got the shot, you had an increased risk of getting disease um, six to nine months later. There's more, break, more failures in the UK, Israel, Gibraltar, 100% vaccinated. They're on their second wave of Delta with 100% of people vaccinated. And they have one of the per capita highest death rates in the world right now. Why would we do this to our children? You can see the others, Seychelles, Belgium, their ICUs are 100% full of vaccinated patients. US states, Vermont, 76% of their deaths last month were in the vaccinated. They're having the largest vaccine failure of any state in the nation, and they're one of the largest vaccinated states. These are the wrong vaccines for the wrong virus now. They don't work. They only cause more problems down the road. Hmm, interesting. Why would anybody, well, a lot of people don't know this stuff, I guess, so to be fair, but if you know it, if you've watched this, now you know it, and uh, you can educate other people and get them to watch this too. How's that sound? Let's go with the part three. The vaccinated are actually the transmitters. The vaccinated carry equal or higher loads. We don't need to be testing employees that are COVID <laughs> covered. They're immune. The vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, it's a false dichotomy. We have three groups. We have vaccinated, unvaccinated, COVID recovered. High percentage of us are COVID recovered. High percent of children are COVID recovered. We cannot be testing the unvaccinated in the hospitals or in the place of employment if we're not testing the vaccinated because from a biology point of view, they're carrying and transmitting equal amounts of virus. Dr. Um, Alexander um, points many of these out. I would have you go to brownstone.org. I, I don't have time to read all 29 articles there. And we don't vaccinate when a virus is spreading quickly. It's like loading the gun when you're just standing on the battlefield and everything's firing at you, you, don't, you, you load the gun before the battle. So it selects for variants to give a shot in the middle of a widespreading virus. We are literally selecting for the next variant by giving a shot while something is quick spreading. If you have a chance, go to the highwire.com episode 242 with Geert van den Bosch. This will probably be one of the most influential one hours of your life that you will ever spend understanding why we're doing the wrong thing with these shots right now and how we were we are putting at risk the immune systems the lives the hearts the future of our children if we give them this gene-based therapy at this time unnecessarily booster palooza it is an awful idea the more boosters we give the more we suppress our immune response it leads to what's called immune exhaustion to where your body eventually will not have those natural killer cell reserves, those T cell reserves, that memory reserve. We heighten the chance of our immune system to fail against this virus and the family of this virus permanently. Do not experiment on the children. Countless nations around the world are not using the gene-based shots for anyone under age 30. And there's a reason for that. These need to stop. Meanwhile, we psychotically in the United States of America are pushing these forward for children five to 11. As of June, 42% of children had already had COVID. That's the floor. That was before Delta hit. What's critical is we're probably around 60 to 80% of those children have had COVID now. And we know how quickly they get through it. To expose them after they've had COVID is nonsensical. It doesn't make immunologic sense. Children should not be used as a human shield. They do not spread the virus. They are mostly a bridge to immunity societally. And Big Bird is not real. We have propaganda campaigns that are happening around the world. 
What is real is blood clotting. What is real is myocarditis. What is real is, is the damage that can be caused to our children, to their organs, to their hearts. We should not vaccinate the COVID recovered. Many articles here again from Dr. Alexander and some by uh, Dr. Aaron Chiardi. These are on brownstone.org as well. Over 128 studies showing why COVID recovered don't need a shot, including our children. We have a letter from the CDC saying, look, we can't show one case where a COVID recovered person has spread the disease to anybody. Dr. Rish and Dr. Bhattacharya, two of the world's preeminent doctors and epidemiologists, it is scientifically incoherent to vaccinate the COVID recovered. Early treatments save lives. We need to let doctors be doctors. We know life-saving medicines. We can take care of the children. We do not need to make Pfizer permanente and offer our children up to the priests of Baal to be burned by a vaccine that can kill them. So thank you very much for your time. We need to get back to joy, kindness, listening to each other, have dialogue and science. We need to be awake, not woke. And I uh, can answer any questions at any point. So thank you so much for your time. Okay, let's go to the next one. That's probably the question and answer period. I don't expect it's going to be very long. Um, it's kind of scary. So tell me what's going on. I mean, if this is really uh, documented and proven stuff. Why is this thing continuing such a force? You know, I'm just I'm, I'm baffled. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me as well. I, there, there are large financial and power interests behind this. There is no medical reason to be pushing forward anymore with what we're doing. There are other nations that have gotten through uh, the pandemic with early treatments with essentially no vaccine. Uh, the province of Uttar Pradesh in Northern India, 270 million people, they passed out early treatment packets, uh, ivermectin, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, I think maybe an antibiotic as well for about $2. Uh, they're down to 20 cases a day out of 270 million people and they only had about a 5% vaccine uptake at that time. Wow. So they have about 80 to 90% of people now with antibodies. They're done with the pandemic. We've chosen money and graft and greed and pushing things that are illogical scientifically onto populations with no long-term safety uh, to the detriment of something that can be treated early. Yes, there are people that are at risk, but we know how to protect them, shield them, treat them early. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it is a farce what we're experiencing. You're being so 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 medically and scientifically intelligent with the explanation you're giving down to such a fine detail. But again, I'm, I'm, I, hear you, I hear what you said, but I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. The march, the aggressive march of this continuous um, mandating and so forth and so on, uh, is there any way to kind of get this thing to stop if this, if this is going on? I mean, I've, I have kids, I have grandchildren. I'm getting, I'm getting kind of worried listening to what you're saying um, that they're going to have to start taking tests in schools and stuff, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds. What's the answer for this? Well, we need to fight. I mean, a shout at the walls of Jericho and bring those walls down. I mean, we're speaking out for a reason, but all of us need to speak out. These these are not approved. These these are only emergency authorized. They're unnecessary, especially for children, as I pointed out. We need to fight at the school board level, at the county levels, at the city levels, at the political levels. Um, we can look at what success uh, Senator, De or I'm sorry, Governor DeSantis just had in Florida. That was because the people spoke up. 
The people fought for the children. We need the mothers to speak up, the mama bears. We need them to fight. We need the fathers to fight. We need everybody to fight. These are not approved. These are an experiment on humanity, and it is the largest experiment on humanity ever. We need to not stay silent. We need to speak up. What I'm sharing is science and data and information. The propaganda that you hear from the media would have you believe it's disinformation. No, it's simply information. And we have the power of truth behind us. We just need the courage to go forward with that truth loudly. And we need to not bow to their demands or requests. We need to be able to say, this is our body. This is my choice. These are our children. These are our future. And we will not allow corrupt entities to corrupt their bodies, to corrupt our next generations, and perhaps uh, damage those generations incalculably. Totally remarkable. Thank you for your response. It's, it's, you know, it's very reassuring to hear you say what you're saying. I only hope somehow that um, the population does get together and start really uh, pounding the door and knocking this thing down because uh, this is really scary. What should I say? It's scary. Yeah, we need to reawaken. All of us need to reawaken. We're experiencing societally what we call um, a mass formation. It's basically a societal delusion. And that's been brought on by, you know, propagandistic campaigns of large media, suppression of truth, suppression of data. Um, so we need to counter that. We need to counter that. So again, thank you for the opportunity. And I'm happy to be available uh, for any other questions down the road in any way I can help. Okay, if there's been intermittent outages here, folks, I apologize. I've caught them all. For some reason, this crazy program keeps signing me out and signing me back in uh, or saying that I'm joining again. Anyway, Dr. Cole said, uh, basically said, uh, perform this uh, disobedience. Okay, what's disobedience? Uh, no, I am not going to take that shot. You can take that shot and stick it somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. I mean, you could do a lot nicer, of course, right? But um, the other ways, you know, sir, you need to put a mask on. Why do I need to put a mask on? Because it's a mandate. Is the mandate legal? A lot of them will say, well, I don't know. It's just our, we have to have you wear a mask. What I do a lot of times, like go to Walmart I take the mask, act like I'm putting it on when I get out of eyesight or the guy giving the mask out. I walk around without it. Um, it's real easy, <laughs> you know. Um, and a lot of other people do the same thing. And here in Oregon, you know, that's that's saying a lot because, you know, the, the libtard factor here is, is very high. And uh, but uh, anyway, so civil disobedience is the way to do it. And it's not getting out on the street and lighting fires and burning down businesses or or throwing Molotov cocktails at the police. It's simply saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, let me do something here for I, I I'd love to go to um, the 1828 version of uh, Webster's. Let's see if I can do that real quick. I know it's going to take. There we go. 
All right. Uh, no, that's to sell it. I don't want to buy it. Not yet, anyway. Um, here we go. I think this is it. Nope. I only go to one place. It's called the... Uh... Yeah, it figures. I can't find it here. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Go here and hope that this is... This is the uh, modern... Merriam-Webster given me the 1828. I don't know if I can trust it, but uh, all right. Simple disobedience, refusal or neglect to obey. Okay, very simple. Refusal or neglect to obey. It doesn't mean starting a riot or burning things down. Uh. Synonyms, balkiness, contrariness, contumacy, defiance, frowardness, insubordination. There's a good one. Intractability, osteoporosis, <laughs> rebellion. Got to watch out for rebellion. Okay? Rebellion can, can turn into riots and stuff like that. Uh, recalcitrance, refractoriness, refractoriness. Unruliness, waywardness, and willfulness. And if you want antonyms, which is things that are opposite, compliance, obedience, submission, subordinance, subordination, tractability, tractableness. I will not comply. I will not be obedient to those stupid rules and laws. I will not submit. I will not be a subordinate like a lot of the libtards are, the uh, branch Covidians. Subordination, same thing. Okay, so there you have it. Refusal to... Refusal or neglect to obey. Okay, I will not do that. That's what Daniel did uh, before the king. That's what... Uh, he did a couple times, actually. That's what the three Hebrew children did before the king. Uh, they were cast into a lake of fire, and there were four people in there. One of them was not human. Uh, was a, probably a pre, uh, oh, what do they call that? A theophany of Yeshua. But um, anyway, so there you have it, folks. Lock, stock, and barrel. Get rid of that. Lock, stock, and barrel, folks. You have it. Disobedience. Refusal to obey. Okay. So the way things are going to turn around, more and more of us start refusing to wear that stupid mask. If we refuse to do this, do that, all the things that they want us to do, if you refuse to do it, refusing to take the vaccine is the big one. If you've done that, man, that's uh, maximum disobedience. <laughs> um, so be disobedient. I never thought I'd tell people to do that. <laughs> Be disobedient to the bastards that want you to take this vaccine, to the ones that point at you and criticize you when you're not wearing a mask, you know? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm always ready. I'm always ready. And I know it's going to happen someday. But uh, anyway, uh, we've gone over two minutes, two minutes, or excuse me, two hours and two minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Folks, have a wonderful rest of the week. I might be back a little earlier to do a fourth part of this because there's a lot more testimony. And um, 
Anyway, be blessed. Uh, have a great week. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out. You're coming. You're going out. You're coming in. You're rising up and you're lying down. May he bring you peace in Yeshua's holy name. Amen and amen. Good night, folks. There was close to a 30-minute loss of feed here, so it's been erased.